Center. Good to see you. So my assignment this morning, how many of you guys like assignments? My assignment this morning is to take PhD level educated folks and the first grader who is rewarded with an attention span that will keep him or her active for years to come and to keep everybody's attention for the next 30 minutes. How many of you guys think that's impossible? But for God. So Father, today we pray that you would do a miracle, God, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Here we are, so much to learn and, and so little time, God. So we pray your Holy Spirit would speak now to the youngest, most distracted, the oldest, most dignified, the educated, most wise, all of us in between, because you have a word for every person here today. And we ask you to give that word now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. So let me do this. If you are a college professor, if you teach preschool, public school, private school, charter school, or homeschool, or any other school that I forgot to mention, trade school, uh, any other school I forgot to mention, you're an, you're an educator. Would you please stand to your feet at this time? Everybody on your feet. If that is you. Look at that. Look at that. That is incredible. That is incredible. You can be seated. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So think about this. Think about teaching. What is teaching? Teaching, you, you get to take ancient mathematics of Euclid and, and the axioms and common notions and put them into the minds of children. You get to take uh, Aristotle's philosophy, Solomon's wisdom, Sun Tzu's teachings on warfare and guerrilla warfare, Mr. Rogers' teaching on kindness, Grandma's cookie recipe. Come on, somebody. You, you get to take the best of what is and place it where it has never been before. I get to take the teachings of the kingdom of God. Don't tell the deacon board, but I do this for free. <laughs> what is teaching? Teaching takes the best of what is and skillfully places it where it's never been before. I want to start with this thought. As teachers, I want to speak to teachers, I want to speak to students, but mostly to teachers today, and, and hopefully I'm animated enough to keep that, that uh, five-year-old's attention, six-year-old's attention span. If I can keep my attention span, I can keep anybody's attention span. Amen. So who you are, here's the thought, who you are is more important to your students than what you teach. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? Who you are is more important to your students than what you teach. We've all had the teacher that hated us. <laughs> We all had a teacher who hated themselves. Now, if you are my age, you remember something called the teacher's lounge. The teacher's lounge was just on the other side of the, the mimeograph machine. I remember what a mimeograph machine is, a Xerox machine before Xerox machines. I remember going in there and turning the handle to make mimeographs. I remember the feeling that I got inside my soul as I sniffed the mimeograph fluid in that small room. Making copies, and I just go, da, 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 da. Anybody got Doritos, right? And in this, in this, but the teacher's lounge was right outside there. I remember they'd leave the door open, and this is when you used to be able to smoke inside of buildings. And the teacher's lounge was like, was like a dive bar. It, it, was, it was nicotine yellow. Whatever color it was at first, we don't know. But the couches were sticky, and the walls were yellow, and the people that hung out there hung out there to get away from people. And there was always a handful of teachers in there. How many of you guys know the teacher I'm talking about? The teacher that went into it for the money and the fame. <laughs> and we're sorely disappointed when they ran into students. So who you are 
is more important to the people you teach, regardless of their college students or their kindergartners. Who you are is always going to be more important. The passion that you have for them, the goals, the dreams, you're not there for the money and the fame. You're there because they're there. And that's the only place you want to be makes a difference. Uh, years ago, there was a church that was being constructed in London, England, and a man walked up to a, the three bricklayers, and he asked a, a unique question of all three of them trying to get a specific answer. He walked up to the first man, and he said, what are you doing? He said, he looked at him as if it was a dumb question, because on some level, it is a dumb question. And he answered them. He said, I am laying bricks. And he thought, that's the last question I should probably ask that guy. How many of you guys know that British people are nice except for when they're awake? <laughs> if you're British, I, I don't apologize. Um, <laughs> If I had said that about the French, nobody would have cared because they would have surrendered the point. But you guys, the Brits, I get it. I totally get it. Now that I've offended everybody, let's move on. He walks up to the second man. He says to the second man, what are you doing? And he goes, oh. He takes off his hat. He says, you know what I'm doing is I'm constructing a beautiful church. This church will stand in the city for hundreds of years to come. And, and our, our old will be buried here, and our young will be married here, and our babies will be christened here. This will be the center of our community. The spire at the top of this church will be a symbol of hope through war and through peace for the next 10 generations. He went to the third man. He said, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? Another bricklayer. And the man took off his hat, and with tears in his eyes, he simply said these words, I'm building the kingdom of God. Yeah. Understand there's a perspective the first guy is laying bricks because he's got something to do. He's got a job to do, a, a task to accomplish. He's got curriculum to get through. He's got tests to do by Friday. He's got to correct the papers by Monday. He's got, he's got to do what he's got to do. The next guy realizes, listen, I, I am not just building something today. There's something that's going to live well beyond my days that I'm accomplishing today with my day-to-day tasks. But the third one really had a different view of it. I, I'm not just building the place where we'll be married and buried. I'm building the place where people will realize who they are, who God is. I'm building the foundations of culture and spirituality. We say this around here a lot, but because we have a lot of guests with us here today, I, I want to be redundant for the locals, but maybe revelatory to, to the, the visitors. Let me just say, simply say this. Uh, we, we say here a lot, name five sermons that have changed your life. And nobody can. One of the most offensive moments in a pastor's life is realizing that what I teach is secondary to who I am. Name five sermons that have changed your life. I, for hours every week, sometimes two or three, I prepare, I deliver, I counsel on, I meditate on, I come back to you, I get input, I study, I research 35 years of ministry into 35 minutes of talking. And I say to people like, hey, here's the message. And they go, yeah, I can't name one. <laughs> changed my life. It's like, well, you're a bad listener. <laughs> but when we change that question by just one statement, by one word, everybody can do it. You can't name five sermons. You can't name five lectures. You can't fa- name five textbooks. But everybody can name five people. And so today, for the next 20 minutes, I just simply want to drill into that a little bit. What, what is it that makes those five people the people that changed your life? Number one is this. They saw you. I don't, I don't know how teachers do this. I know that teachers don't have favorites, but we all know that teachers have favorites, right? I, I know that parents don't have favorites, but there, there's, something, there's something about having that position in a child's life, in a student's life, where you just know, you, if you've done it long enough, you begin to see patterns, you begin to recognize clues, you begin to smell fragrances of what's cooking inside of the student, and you begin to call out of them what they have not yet seen themselves. You, you begin to see them for who they're going to be. I had teachers look at me and say, you just need to sit down and shut up. Well, they didn't see what I was supposed to do. I'm supposed to stand up and speak in class. 
I've been doing this faithfully since I was five years old. And, and yet they never recognize my greatness, <laughs> right? Because I'm supposed to be learning. And, you know, we're all learning. Some of us patience, some of us writing, writing and arithmeticking. But there's a story I love that illustrates this point. She got to go potty? I get it. Don't worry about it. Don't pay attention to anything. I don't suffer from ADD, by the way. I enjoy it. You suffer from it. And I enjoy it. Sorry, Annabelle. Um, so there's this story of this kid that wakes up one Saturday morning, hears, timber, crash. He looks out the window, and the oak tree that stood next to his home for as long as he's been alive, and certainly since before his grandparents were alive, was, was cut down. It was cut down about 10 foot tall. They, they sectioned it off, and they ground it up, and he watched as they, they loaded this massive tree, but they left the stump. I mean, a big, tall stump. They left it there. And so the... the the next Monday morning, he's waking up for school, and he hears that sound again. And he's eating his Pop-Tarts, and he's grabbing his backpack. And he goes out, and he sees a man with a chainsaw, and he's, he's cutting away, presumably cutting down the stump. At school that day, he learns about American history. He hears about a person named Abraham Lincoln. And, he, and he, he's intrigued by this, the Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th Amendment, the Civil War, the, the Declaration of, you know, that's the earlier, the teachers, history's teachers, like, it's not independence, that's later, that's earlier. But, but he learns about it, and as he comes home, he finds this sitting in the neighbor's yard. And he recognizes that the stump, the tree that had become the stump, that had become something new, had, had looked just like Abraham Lincoln. So he walked up to the artist as he took a break, and he said, can I ask you a question, sir? He said, certainly. He said, I know this guy. I, I, like, I just learned about him. I've seen him in movies. I've heard people talk about it, but I just learned about him and looked at dozens of pictures and watched a movie. And do they still have film strips? Probably not. Okay. A DVD, a digital download. Help me out. I don't know. What do you do now? A comic book. Those will always be around, right? And I saw this face. How did you do that? And this is what the artist said. Hear me. Teachers, hear me. Parents, hear me. Students, hear me. The, the, the wise carver simply said this. I just cut away everything that didn't look like Abraham Lincoln. And in the end, I found that he was in there the whole time. Teachers, hear me. Parents, hear me. Grandparents, hear me. Nice neighbors, little league coaches, hear me. People who have influence, people who have students, hear me. God has made everybody to be somebody. And the words of those that are put in authority in their lives have a lot to do with the molding of what gets cut off and what gets left behind. That which doesn't look like them needs to be stripped away. Ignorance is not the destiny of any man. Come on. God didn't create people to be ignorant. God didn't create people to be unaware. God didn't create people to be uninvolved. Your job, your role is to begin to cut away the silliness, cut away the futility, cut away the belief systems at times. And I'm not talking about Christian belief systems. Just, I'm just a kid. Don't expect anything from me. Cut that junk off. Because the Holy Spirit can ignite the heart of a shepherd boy to kill a giant today, just like he did 3,000 years ago against the Philistines. There are still Davids, and there are still Goliaths. And as people of influence in a student's life, hear me, you have got to see them. I will promise you this. The five people that are on your list that change your life, they knew something about you before you knew something about you. They knew something. You have to see them. Secondly, they have to, they have to believe in you. The people that, that helped you become the person that you are, they believed in you. I'll never forget the first person, and I mean this, the first person who didn't tell me to sit down in class and shut up, but told me to stand up and speak, her name was Karen Waltz. She was my biology teacher. And she would, from time to time, go into her office, and she'd say, Jim, take over the class. Now, how many of you guys know what happens 
when Arnold Horshack takes over Mr. Cotter's class. Now, everybody that's 40 and under didn't get that. If you chuckled, you're just really old. You're just really old. But you get this, right? Like, what happens when, when you put the class clown in charge of the class? Why did Mrs. Waltz put me in charge of her class? I have no idea. Except she saw me and she believed in me. Seeing somebody's good, but believing in them's better. Jim, you're in charge of the class. Well, I was in charge of the class. So I'd sit behind her and everybody'd laugh and they'd kind of, they, they, their behavior would get worse. How do you treat a substitute teacher? Right? So that's, that's what I was for 10 minutes. But I remember saying, hey, guys, let me, let me tell you a story. And the whole class would listen as I told the story. Understand this. Every other teacher, and rightly so, by the way, I'm not mad at them. I totally get it. Every other teacher said, Jim, sit down and shut up. And Karen Walt said, Jim, stand up and speak. She saw me. Um, I imagine my mom's watching today. Hi, Mom. Love you. My mom and my stepdad, who I, I call dad, is, is, uh, they, they created an environment for a 1.8 GPA, ADD kid who was prone to wander off, off the topic, off the property, <laughs> off sanity, off sobriety. But if I heard it once, and my mom will testify to this if so she's watching online, type it in, Mom. <laughs> and she knows how to spell because she's really smart, right? But she, if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. Jimmy, you can do anything you want to do. You are smart. You are brave. You are strong. And I said, well, if I'm so smart, how come I'm getting all these E's, <laughs> you know? When I got A's from my teacher, it was like, hey, we can shut up. D's, E's. If I got a C, we wouldn't got ice cream. I'm average. I am the best of the worst, although I'm still the worst of the best. But I passed. There was a great celebration. There was dancing. There was revelry, right? But they, they were masters at creating an environment around, around, hear me, a child that was told he was failing, that he was not a failure. They believed in me. When I gave my life to Jesus and I started telling people about Jesus and traveling and going to school, my parents were so supportive. When I joined the military, oh, you're going to be the best soldier. You're going to be, the, I'm a youth pastor. You're going to be the best youth pastor. Jimmy, your, your life is, when they met Dina, they're like, oh, thank God. We're, we're done raising him. Now it's somebody else's problem, you know. You got to believe in him. Are you with me? You got to see him. Come on. And you got to, so first you got to see him and you got to. Look at this, third thing, last thing. They didn't let you fail even when you really, really, really wanted to. If those five people on your list that changed your life, or be honest, what's the one thing that they would all have in common? It was the coach that said, you got five more push-ups and you don't you quit. It was a teacher that said, hey, you know what? You're acting dumb, but I see through your facade. You're not. It was the person that said, you know what? I understand you're struggling and struggling and struggling. Let me test you for something to find out if you have a disability, a learning disability. It's going to be harder for you than the average kid. But then they didn't categorize you as the kid that wasn't average. They just told you you had to work harder to be average. It was the person that brought the best out of you when all you wanted to do was go back to sleep and roll over. Mr. Malkovich was a teacher like that for me. At Highland Junior High School, now known as the field where Highland Junior High School once was, it was in that school that I got the nickname Every Other Day Weekend. As I showed up, Mom, don't listen to this part. I, I frequented other places besides school. And I got the nickname Every Other Day Weekend. Matter of fact, years later, the vice principal of Highland Junior High School attended. He's moved to Montana now. But he said, hey, Weekend, do you know the kid that they called Every Other Day Weekend? I said, yeah, that's me. He said, you know, to this day, 
This is 35 years later. To this day, if a kid misses a lot of school, you know what they call him? I said, what? He goes, and every other day weekend. I thought, I'm famous. I, they named the disease after me. I just feel so, so complete, right? But Mr. Malkovich taught math, and I was good at math. I could do adding, subtracting, and multiplying, but I could not do division. During moving and during a time of sickness and pneumonia in Florida, then moving back to Michigan, all that kind of stuff, I missed where they first taught division, and I didn't know how to divide whole numbers. I, I knew that like 14 divided by 2, because I could, I could reverse extrapolate the multiplication, but when it was like 147,320 divided by 12, I didn't know how to do any of that, so I just sat next to the smart girl. The best place for me, smart girl on one side, pretty girl on the other side. You know what I'm talking about, Right? If I can't work my jelly one way, I'm going to work it the other way. But by the end of the day, I will accomplish some sort of goal. Teacher's like, I'm so glad you weren't in my class. I know. I am too. Because now we can be friends. (laughs) But literally, I went through fifth grade, didn't know it. Sixth grade, didn't know it. Seventh grade, didn't know it. Eighth grade. I'm getting ready to go to high school. And I cannot divide whole numbers. And Mr. Milkovich was looking at homework. He said, Wigan, come up here. And that's never good. He said, can I, can I come closer? I'm like, I'm within hitting range now. What, how close? So you kind of like, all the weight's in your front foot so you can jump back. You know what I mean? I leaned in. He says, I'm looking at your work. You don't know how to do division. And I was like insulted by that reality. Jim, come here. He goes, I, you're faking this. You copied off of what's her face. I'm like, offended now. He said, what are you doing after school today? I said, you know, going home and watching Gunsmoke. Working Mindy reruns, happy days. Come on, and TV was good. Are you with me? All right, um, all the kids are like, why am I in this room right now? I don't understand. <laughs> and, and no kidding, he, he said, um, how do you get here? And I said, I drive the bus. And he said, okay. How far away do you live? I said, about five miles. He said, can you walk five miles? I said, where's this going? I can walk five miles. Okay. As soon as school is over with, immediately you come to my classroom. And if I can teach you this so you can catch the bus, great. If not, you're walking home. Oh, you know, Mr. M, hey, man, hey, bro, you know, it's, it's all hey. He said, no, no, no. You can't divide whole numbers. And by the end of this day, you will know how to divide whole numbers. And part of me went, you know, how many of you when you're hiding a lie? You, it's time to do division. You're like, ah, I have to pretend I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. But he saw me. Come on. He believed in me, and he wouldn't let me fail. And so I went to his classroom, and in 15 minutes, by the way, the bus left in 10, but in 15 minutes, I knew how to divide long, whole numbers, all of them. On the way home, I remember in my head doing math, walking for five miles home. Okay, well, what would like 127 be divided by seven? I remember I carry the three, do the two, and I, and, I, and I wonder if that's right. And to this day, now that's eighth grade. That's 1978, for those of you that weren't born in 1978, that's like when you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. But to this day, when I face a large column of, of whole numbers that need to be divided, I use a calculator just like you. <laughs> Mr. Milkovich didn't primarily teach me how to divide numbers. He taught me I wasn't stupid because he wouldn't let me fail. Four years later, I joined the military where I met a wonderful human being, a kind soul, who enjoyed speaking about my mother in warm, glowing phrases. Sergeant James Washington. And he was made out of iron and spit. 
And I knew that in my life, I could do so many push-ups. I had to do them to join the military. I had to do them to prepare for the military. So many sit-ups. As soon as I met him, I realized this. Hear me. When I was done, I was done because it hurt. I wasn't done because I was exhausted. I was done because it hurt. And there's a certain lactic acid pain threshold and uh, wiggly jiggly, I'm done. Four. <laughs> but when I met him, I could do 10 and that was all because it hurt too bad. I played, I played in the pep band. I wasn't an athlete. And you football guys like, well, it's like, yes. <laughs> Until I met the drill sergeant, now I can kill you. So there's that, there's that, that season, right? That season where, where I can do 10 and I'm done. And he wasn't satisfied with 10. His job is not to care about my pain. His job is to get me to go until I can't go anymore. And I never had a coach. And I never had a mentor that was a tormentor until I met my drill sergeant. And when I was done at 10, he got like 27 push-ups out of me. He screamed. He spit. We discussed my mother. And when I was done, my arms were like... <laughs> You know, and the next day, like, we're going to take a week off, right? Because I can't move my arms. So drop and give me 20. Oh, that's hard to do that. What I'm saying is this. Sometimes as an educator, hear me, sometimes as an educator, because you see them and because you believe in them, you cannot let them not be what God created them to be. That, those are the people that change our life. It's the people that let me preach my very first sermon. 18 pages of notes. took me four minutes to preach the whole thing. and I had diarrhea for three days leading up to it. And it was lousy. But they gave me a chance, and then they told me what I did wrong, and they told me what I did right. They saw something in me. They believed in me, and they pushed me past my thresholds of humiliation, my thresholds of ego, my thresholds of pain. Are you here? Look at this. They saw you. They believed in you, and they didn't let you fail. Are you still here? They saw you. They believed in you, and they didn't let you fail. Why are you here today? Why have you accomplished what you accomplished? Because somebody saw you. Somebody believed in you. And someone didn't let you fail. And now it's your opportunity to see somebody else and to believe in somebody else and then not let them fail. And I cannot imagine a more challenging season in which to be a school teacher than today. But the primary focus and fruit of your ministry to your students is that you see them, that you believe in them, and that you don't let them fail. The dynamics have changed. The mission has not. And to adapt and to overcome takes a passionate heart. It's my belief, by the way, that Jesus was the greatest. Ben, join me if you would, please. Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. So I don't know about that. 2,000 years later, lots of people still talking about what he talked about. Some of them are PhDs. Some of them are five-year-olds. But somehow he held the attention of everybody. Some of them are talking about seeds and goats and, and fish and bread the world still is repeating the lessons in popular cultures all over the world. What I'm trying to say is this. His, his title of teacher, I would call master of master teachers, he, he's sharing that with you. I'm a father. God sharing that title with me by giving me sons is one of the greatest honors I'll ever know. Um, you're a teacher. Remember, remember those who came before that saw you believed in you and would let you quit. Remember, remember what teaching is. It's taking grandma's cookie recipe and Sun Tzu's t- 
tactics and Euclid's mathematics and Shakespeare's horrible English and, and Edgar Allan Poe's scary stuff and A.A. A. Allen's, uh, I, it just, I, all, all the things that have been done, the Aristotles and the Plato's and the, the Caesars and the Napoleons and, and somehow taking that opportunity to take what is and put it where it's never been before. That's what a teacher does. It takes what is and places it in the heart that's never known it before. As a teacher, you'll recognize this moment. When Mr. Malkovich got done teaching me that, and he saw the look in my eye where I looked at him and I said, like, I'm not dumb. He's like, you're not, buddy. I can do this. You can do this. How many guys know that his paycheck that week was not a, a rectangular piece of paper with numbers on it? His paycheck that week was a student who learned. That's your paycheck. Now, the angry parents, the, the, the NEA, the politics, and which side, and I'm not allowed to talk about this anymore, but I got to talk about that now, and I got to... Your paycheck, are you hearing me? Your paycheck is when something that is now exists someplace it's never been before. And when the light comes on, you are a teacher. The verb to teach and the verb to learn. In the Greek, it's the same word. You're not teaching if they're not learning, and they're not learning if you're not teaching. So we as a society, we as a culture, we as a church, are asking you to do the impossible under horrible circumstances. Remember why you started this gig. Remember why you're going to finish strong. Remember what's already been accomplished. Remember that you, as a teacher, are on so many students' five-people list, and you don't even know it. That is your reward. That is your paycheck. That is the satisfaction of your soul. Listen, God sees you. God believes in you. And God won't let you fail. Even though this year feels like last year, feels like the year before, it feels like he sees you. He believes in you, and he will not let you fail. He will not let you fail. He will not let you fail. Sergeant Washington did not let me fail. Mr. Malkovich did not let me fail. I can't imagine how hard it is, but I'm telling you this. God is sharing a title with you. He takes very seriously your success. Would you do me a favor as an educator? And and we're not going to clap at this moment. We have gifts for you. And I have one last thing to say. You might have noticed this entire sermon has not had a single scripture. There's a reason for that. There's only one scripture in this sermon. I want to be the last one. I want it to stick in our hearts. So if you're an educator that we mentioned earlier and you stood, I'm going to ask for one last thing from you. And it might be humbling for you. You're used to standing in front of classes, but I, I get this a different environment. But would you again, would you please stand to your feet if you're an educator? Everybody, educators, stand to your feet. Don't be the naughty kid in the back of the class, John Withers. Thank you very much. And I'm going to ask one last thing. Would you please move to the fore, just right here in front. I just, heart to heart, just us. Would you come up here and stand right here for a second? I promise you we're not going to bring out rattlesnakes and tambourines. That's next week. Thank you for laughing, because otherwise I've been like, oh, turn around, go back. Right here. Here's our one scripture. This is it. This is the one scripture I want to leave you with. It's the one thought I want you to take with you from this place. You're a homeschool teacher. You're a college professor. You just got your PhD. You just... You know what I mean? You're teaching preschool. Here's one scripture. Our church knows this well. I think the wealth that is in this one set of words creates the dynamic of purpose for all humanity. We are God's handiwork, his workmanship, his poema, or his poem. We're the rhyming, rhythmic, powerful, beautiful statement of God that he makes to every generation. We are his handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do these good works that God prepared both us and the works in advance to do. 
So maybe you got into this for the money and the fame, but I seriously doubt it. Maybe you got into it because like a cop, like a nurse, like a soldier, you were actually created to do something that nobody else wants to do. There are so many right now running from the profession. And what we're saying to you, maybe we've been remiss as a culture saying to you, is thank you for what you do. We all, everybody in this room owes you a debt of gratitude. And I would say this, there's going to be moments and there, you know, some of you start Monday, some of you start Wednesday, some of you start a week from tomorrow, some of you haven't stopped. But just, just know there's going to be moments where it doesn't feel like it's worth it anymore. I, I get that. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I get that. I, in, my, in my own way, on my own level. But just remember that on this day, there's a group of people with gratitude in our hearts that prayed and asked God to bless you this year. It's true that there's going to be times during this year like, this sucks, this is stupid, I don't want to do this anymore. Why did Mr. Milkovich not let me quit? You know? But this isn't what you do as much as this is who you are. You are educators. You're not just educated, you are educators. Go sell insurance, but you'll be teaching them about the policy because you can't help it. Go sell water softeners. And Dan Abel said, amen. Where are you, Dan? Amen. But you'll be saying, oh, let me say, this is so exciting. Did you know that cumulus clouds have a, a lower nitrogen level in them? You know what I mean? You're, you're going to teach. You're going to show up to sell them a water softener with flannel graphs and a dry erase board. and a Because you are teachers. That's what you do. That's who you are. You are God's handiwork. You are, hear me, you're the answer to the question of a generation. You're the solution to the problems of a generation. You're God's workmanship and you're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God's prepared you, God's prepared them, God's prepared this. Don't you ever forget it. We see you. We believe in you. And if we have anything to say about it, we're not gonna let you get so discouraged that you don't feel like doing it anymore. So here's, here's our word to you. This year, you run out of nose wipes, you run out of dry erase markers, you run out of chalk, you run out of patience. You run out of energy. You let us know. And this church will do everything in its power to make sure you get away, to make sure you get what you need, to make sure you get a date night. We'll we'll pay for something really cool, like an expensive restaurant, like Ruby Tuesdays. We'll send movie kits. We'll we'll come into your classroom and just pray over it. You you can come and sit in our offices and we'll drink coffee and we'll turn the, the walls nicotine yellow if we need to. But you don't have to go anywhere until you feel like going back again and being a teacher because that's what you are. We are committed to our educators because I believe the children are the future. <laughs> I, I, like, so um, can we pray? And, and church, to honor them, would you please stand to your feet? And I, I, don't, I don't know who's comfortable with what, so we're just gonna, you guys stay there. We're gonna stay up here. Um, Sometimes we have people like come pray with us. So if like it's your family, your family can pray with you. I mean, it's not, I'm going to say you can't forbid you from praying with people, but I don't know who's here and who's not. It's like, why are all these people putting their hands on me? It's like, it's a Christian thing. It freaks me out too, you know. Would you bow your heads? Father, known only to you is the year before us. Known only to you are the good works that have been prepared in advance. Known only to you, known only to you 
are the soul standing at this altar. We pray, God, in moments that will be hard, trials that will be long, injustice, <laughs> things that are so unfair, things that are so overlooked, things that are so neglected, things that are so wounded. They're going to they're come through our lives. These educators, God, have taken on a role in our community that is financially dishonored, it's socially dishonored, it's politically dishonored, and yet those who would dishonor them have all been educated by them. It's crazy. It's crazy how we slap the hand that feeds us. But God, I, I pray that in this moment they would hear your words. I see you. I believe in you. And I won't let you fail. May they walk into their classrooms like Patton on a, on a battlefield. May they walk into their classrooms like John Glenn entering in a, an Apollo orbiter. May they walk up to students like Picasso with paint and a blank canvas. May they see the invisible. May they believe the impossible. May they accomplish the eternal. Anything that's against them, you're against. Anything that concerns them, concerns you. They're not going alone. They're not, they're not going without. So every angry parent they haven't met yet, bless them all, God. These educators, great patience when the time comes. Everybody that's doing this for a living has got three more years and they can quit. Just get them out of the way before that three years is up, God. And let those who have a passion for students rise to the service and administrate well. And we pray, God, may their hearts never find anything less than a quarter of a tank this year. They're going to be tired. It's hard. It requires everything. Father, we pray in those moments where it's hard, let them remember this moment. But if it ever gets down to an eighth of a tank, they can come to Freedom Center and we'll fill it back up again. We'll pay for their date night. We'll, we'll let them borrow the, the cottage up north. We'll get them some counseling. We'll help them pay their bills. We'll, we will be the church. We will be the group of friends that believes in what they're doing, sees who they are, and will not let them fail. So bless them, God. We pray, bless them. In your own way right now, teachers, you've got a unique position of authority. We're not into like visualization and psychology kind of stuff, but just, just you know where your classroom is, I think, by now, or at least the school you're going to be teaching in. You might know some of the students, but you just in your own way right now. God, we lift up these places and these faces to you. We lift up students and parents and situations and circumstances and budgets and PTAs and school boards and elections. And we, we lift it all up to you, God. We put things that are too heavy for us to carry into the hands of the one that will never fumble the ball. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. Being who we are is what's important. So I pray, God, help them to know what to really put their heart into, which buttons you should just hit the lead on. And God, we pray that those students would have the greatest school year of their lives. That when they're old men standing on platforms, they'll talk about the teachers that didn't let them fail. And they're old women telling their grandkids that are going through a hard time. They'll say, there was a teacher that I had once when I was a little girl. When I was in high school, when I was in junior high school, they changed my life. Father, I pray for the greatest year of fruit and fruitfulness, God, that they have ever known in their profession. First year or last year, make it the greatest year, God, of their educational career, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give them one last hand? Come on.
All right. Um, I'm supposed to do something now, and I'm, I'm not quite sure what it is, but I, I think it's to say live long and prosper to the Star Trek fans and to the educators. I think, I think you guys are coming over here, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm mistaken, someone will correct me. Sister Babe, is that? Oh, we do. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an audible and say no right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, guys, sorry. The next service, we'll give it a rip, okay? So I want to I make sure we got time to enjoy some chicken and waffles. We got some time to enjoy some things and just for you guys to rest. Is that cool? Uh, yeah. Good. Yeah, you too? Yeah. Good. All right. I know you guys are teachers. You sold your children to be quiet in class. That's fun. <laughs> I'm like you. All right. God bless you. You are dismissed. And teachers, would you come over here now and grab your stuff? Kids, go eat some stuff and play some stuff and have some fun. The school year has begun. Amen? God bless you. You're dismissed. Go get them.